Hey, I'm Tim. And I'm Drew. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In episode 44, we talked to Stephen Springborn about helping students navigate the arts through adolescence. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Babbler, joined as always by my co-host, Drew Sonnenberg. Drew, how are things going for you? Things are going pretty well. We're just getting our new pastor all up to speed here in Rock Hill. Pretty excited to have him here. And you, Tim, were pretty excited about our guest this week, Stephen Springborn. Could you tell us why you were so excited to have him up? Yeah. So I'm not sure Stephen knows everything that I'm going to say, but he will now. I met Stephen pretty early on in my uh, in my college days. Uh, he was a couple years older than me, and from a very from, from the very beginning, I just respected him and looked up to him. At the time, I had aspirations to be a high school teacher, but I wasn't sure that I could could do music or things like that. And throughout our, our couple years there before he graduated, especially in his in his fifth year, he was like bringing me in on his creative process with writing. He, he was working on this musical that was all about the passion. And he got he brought me in on that. And he encouraged me, and I was writing songs, and he was accompanying them and making me feel like I could actually do what I'm now doing. Which so shout out to you, Stephen. Thank you so much. But nice work, it, it's yeah, it's it's cool that people just a little bit older than you can be an inspiration. And I was so excited to talk to Stephen because he's a high school music teacher now, and he gets a chance to inspire a bunch of young kids. So let's let's get into that interview now. Today, we're pumped to welcome our good friend, Stephen Springborn, to the podcast. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, how's it going? Going well. Stephen, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. So uh, my name is Stephen Springborn, and I am currently serving as the music director at Nebraska Lutheran High School in Waco, Nebraska. Awesome. And could you give us a little bit of your, just a brief history of your background with music and the arts? Sure. I first started taking piano lessons when I was in third grade, which I found out as an adult is kind of a late start, but I took to it kind of like a fish with water and really just, I found that music was something that was easy for me and other things that I tried like every sport was not. (laughs) So (laughs) it was fun to have something that was just fun and easy to do that made sense and that I could use in such a practical way to serve God, especially like in my local congregation. I was able to start playing in church really early. I was accompanying services, full services, I think, when I was already in seventh grade and continued to do that throughout high school and college. So I was always really excited about that and eventually got a, a major in music education at MLC. And I've been overseas Uh, working at a bilingual school in the Dominican Republic because my wife is really passionate about uh, different cultures and bilingualism and the Spanish cultures and uh, spent some time at a grade school across of glory in Peoria, Arizona. And now I'm at Nebraska Lutheran running the music department. So how would you say, you know, you, you kind of got exposed to music a little bit later, as you said, in in terms of what we may think of someone who's a musician, right? But it seems like you, like you said, you caught on pretty quickly. So how would you say that exposure from third grade on kind of led you to where you are right now? Well, the, like I said, I, I always had very godly piano teachers 
who were excited to show me how to use the piano to play stuff for church. That was part of something. That was something I did from the very beginning was learning songs that I could play for an offertory or for a pre-service or for a poor salute. And so it was easy for me to start taking steps into that at a pretty early age. And then it wasn't that big of a step to start learning some of the hymns for the Sunday. And then it wasn't a big step to start learning the liturgies and how to introduce a congregation to lead them in. So I got very quickly, I got learning how to use my skills in a liturgical setting to do to be a leader in my church. And that always helped me to realize that that music is more than just for pleasure. Like, yes, it's for pleasure and it's fun to make music, but it's especially cool when you can use it in such a direct way to serve God. And then when I was at St. Croix Lutheran High School for my four years there, I got involved with the choir there and they have a traveling choir that sings at all the association congregations. And I got to see how choral music is used to serve that same way to lead a congregation. And we had very participative services where the audience could sing along with our audience congregation was able to sing along with us. And that always impacted me a lot that I was able to use music in such a practical way to serve God. And I knew pretty early on that I wanted to use my music to serve God and realized that the best way to do that would be through education. And I remember I had a moment when I was, I think I was maybe a junior, I think, in high school, where we got to participate in a local honors choir. Some of the higher level students were able to participate in that. And so it was a secular event with lots of other public school kids. And I remember this so clearly. The director was trying to motivate us, which is something directors do. They motivate students and try to get all the emotion out of them and help them connect with the piece really strongly. And he was giving us this whole speech about the beauty and the art and the joy. And and it was the cheesiest thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, this is all he's got. This is it. This is him like pulling out the big guns. Is this cheesy, dumb little speech? (laughs) And And I knew in that moment, I was like, I cannot teach music at the public schools. I can't do this. If this is all you can do, if this is all music is for, is for beauty and joy and self expression, if that's it, if that's the limit, that's too shallow for me. And I have to be able to use it for God. I have to be able to do that. And so that was what kind of brought me to MLC. And on the professors I had there were, were wonderful models for that. All of them are extremely accomplished church musicians. And so taking all my worship courses with uh, like Joyce Schubkegel and Kermit Moldenhauer, and I learned so much more about Lutheran worship specifically and why we do the things we do and the history of all of it, the, the, the heritage that Lutherans have and how valuable it is that it gave me so much respect for the foundation that we have, that historical foundation that Lutherans have that we're able to stand on today. And it has carried us so long. And that has become a big part of my philosophy in the music classroom and, uh, and the way that I serve at church with my abilities as well. So... So I guess, yeah, long answer. That's how I got to where I am today. Yeah, that's kind of a cool story. And as you mentioned, being in high school and being at that honors, a special local honors choir and seeing 
you know, all that that director seemed to have to offer. It's it's like saying how I guess how do you get kids excited or, or feel energetic about singing, especially for people who may be forced into it. I know at least in my high school, I had to be in freshman choir, and I don't know if a lot of high schools are the same way or anything like that. But but how can you make singing and especially singing in worship something that's desirable for them? Yeah, I have one of those choirs too. We require both our freshmen and our sophomores to be in a choir together. And yeah, it's forced. So it's a, and it's a rather large choir because it's the entire freshman class and the entire sophomore class together in one room. And so they're young, which means they're not going to be that good of singers. And it's everyone. So there's, I call them non-singers in there as well. So yeah, it's it's a constant constant thing for me to be working on as an educator but if i was gonna if i would give advice to choir directors for how to build excitement in your program and to get singers excited about singing uh the fir- the easy answer the short answer is if you love singing and make it obvious how much you love it that's going to be contagious they're going to, especially if you have a rapport with the students, they're going to respect your excitement and they're going to get excited about it too. Now we're talking about teenagers. <laughs> so that's not always going to work. That works really well with like fourth graders. That's really effective with fourth graders. But once they start getting to like sixth grade, that really dies off pretty sharply. So the second piece of advice I would say is, especially when you're working with teens and young adolescents, you really have to understand the voice change and how that works. You need to know what your guys are going through and you need to understand what your girls are going through too. I hear a lot of like um, youth choir directors saying, oh, they're just so quiet and they stop singing because it isn't cool. And I want to say to them, you know, part of it is that it's not really cool. Part of it is that when they're that age, their voices are kind of bad. (laughs) Like they're worse singers than they were one year ago. They used, to have, they used to be better singers, and now they're not. And it's really hard for the girls, I think, because theirs is not dramatic. It's a very subtle change, but all of a sudden, they have a smaller range. Their voice is really wispy and thin-sounding, and they have much less control than they used to have. And that's really hard to deal with. So in my classrooms, I've always tried to make – I talk about the voice change. I let them be aware of what's happening and what to expect and how, yes, I know it's hard. I did it. Everyone does it. It'll get better. Let's just keep working on it. You know, I use a lot of metaphors comparing their voice to a muscle that they just have to exercise. Their muscles all just got bigger. Their voice also just got bigger and they need to exercise that new muscle to get it used to using itself and used to being able to do new things. Yeah. And I also just try to have fun with voices. You know, we joke about it and we laugh about it. And if a guy's voice cracks, you know, I like, we laugh for a second, but I'm like, yeah, but everybody's laughing because they know that they're going to be next, you know, because voices crack in an adolescent voice classroom. I think it's really important to have a culture in your music room that is very intentional, that is really conscious of what makes singing so hard. I'm always really upfront with kids. They'll tell me, they're like, oh, Mr. Springmore, and I'm, I just don't, I get so nervous about singing in front of people. I don't think I can do it. And I am honest with them. Singing is terrifying. Singing is, especially if you're doing it by yourself, singing by yourself is especially bad, but singing in general is terrifying because if you're bad at trumpet, well, then you're bad at trumpet. The trumpet, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So you can try something different and maybe you'll be good at that. But if you're bad at singing, 
then that's part of you that is bad. You know, it's an extremely vulnerable thing to have to sing. And I really am upfront with kids about that. Like, yeah, it's terrifying. So we're all in the same boat. It's terrifying for all of us. Let's just do this together and support each other. So I really try to build a culture where we can experiment and be forgiving of each other and we can make mistakes and we can laugh about it. And we can encourage each other as we sing together. On a slightly different note, I'm just going to talk for a while. Is that okay? Do it. Completely. Okay. Um, Another thing that I talk to a lot about with choir directors, especially, and this goes for youth choir, this goes for high school choirs, is the songs that you pick are a big factor in generating excitement among young people with singing. And it's not always what you think. Of course, you have to know what their voice ranges can handle. Because if you're asking them to sing a song that they can't actually sing, they're going to hate it. Like, oh, I, I, I always... I feel like the saddest thing that I see happen in churches is when confirmands have to sing a song. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, these poor kids, they're at the worst part of their voice right now. They are the worst singers they are ever going to be. And you're asking them to sing a song and they get to pick their own song, right? So what do they pick? They pick like something like on Eagle's Wings, which has (laughs) like, it has a range of like an octave and a half. And these poor kids, they have a range of like five notes trying to sing a song that has an octave and a half. It's bad. You've got to match the song to what the kids can actually sing because then they'll feel successful. And if they feel successful, they'll feel comfortable. You know, if they know they sound bad, they're not going to sing, you know? So that's the first biggest thing you have to think of when choosing music. And the other thing, I always say you have to pick good music, which sounds really subjective. I know, but it means you can't use contrived music. Contrived meaning like a song that was written for children to sing. Teenagers and early adolescents are really good at identifying that stuff because they've been fed that since they were in preschool and they know that they are too big for that. They know that they're way too grown up for that kiddie music. So they don't want music that was written for kids and they can tell if the song is supposed to be fun. You know what I mean? Like some songs are written to try to be fun and they can tell that, and they don't want any of that. They're gonna th- they're gonna roll their eyes at that right away. So it has to be real music, not music that was written for little kids, but music that was just written because it's music and it's good. And I only ever program music that I like personally. I said this before: if you like it, it's a, it's contagious. And so I only program songs that I personally like, and. This is the last thing. A lot of people think that if they're going to appeal to kids' sensibilities, they have to use something that's borrowed from the pop world. It has to be pop-style music. So it has to be a Christian contemporary song. It has to have some kind of a beat to it. It probably has to have a recording track that has drums and guitars. And sometimes that works. But again, sometimes the kids will know that that's contrived. And you're trying to appeal to their sensibilities. And so I would encourage you to look beyond just pop music when trying to choose music that kids are going to like. Because kids can like beautiful music, you know. And also, I think you have to know that when you're trying to please teenagers, it's impossible to please teenagers. <laughs> there, there's always going to be at least one who's going to roll their eyes and be like, this is stupid, you know. <laughs> There's always one that says that. And, and you have just have to know that you're going to lose some battles when it comes to that. Also knowing that teenagers, 
never liked the, the new song. And this is people. People don't like new music, you know? Why do you think radio stations play the same songs over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you know? It's because you don't like it when it's new. You have to hear things a few times before you start to understand it and start to like it. And so they are never going to like a new song the first time they hear it, especially if it's in a new style that they haven't experienced before. And they also, I mentioned this before with the voice ranges, but they don't like things that they're bad at. And that's rough because when they start learning a song, they're bad at it. <laughs> so they always hate songs at the beginning. This happens with my high-level choir, too. I'll give them a challenging song, and they'll tell me, I hate this. This is a stupid song. Well, give it a month, guys. Let's just give it a month. And then you'll know it, and you'll be able to actually understand the song and perform it well. And then they'll feel good about what, they're accom- what they've accomplished, and they won't be quite so judgmental about it. Sure. So as you're, you're working with these students, especially since you get the chance to work with them for several years in a row, as you're trying to kind of build and instill this love of the arts with them, do you find it more beneficial to kind of present them with a, a broad range of opportunities and just kind of see what sticks or to kind of focus more heavily on one thing that maybe they really connect with? I'm going to give you a two-pronged answer to that. It's the yes and no, which is the dumbest answer. <laughs> but it, it, it's such a, uh, but you know, we're Lutherans, right? So we have to balance ourselves in the middle. So yeah. a little yes and a little no. Y- yes, they need to experiment. They're teenagers. That's what adolescence is for. Adolescence is for figuring out who you are and what you can do and what you want to do as you're an adult. It's not the time to focus yourself down and just pick something. I'm always encouraging high schoolers to try new things. So they, if they want to, oh, do you think I should try art class? Yeah, go try the visual arts. See if you're any good at it. You know, see if it's any fun. Try being in the choir. Try joining the band and playing percussion a little bit. You know, try going out for the musical. Try different things to see how it sticks. You know, and if you're good at it and you like it, great. If you're good at it and you hate it, I might still make you do it and maybe you'll like it later. <laughs> you know, and if you like it and you're bad at it, then do it in your room, you know, <laughs> but then I think it's also really important for being honest about what you're good at. As Lutherans, I think we tend to shy away from that. We don't like being honest with ourselves about what we're good at. We love this false sense of humility where we say, oh, no, 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 I can't. I can't, you know, I'm really not. No, and it's no. We, God gives you, gives you skills And you need to be honest about what those are because then you can use them to serve him. You know, if you're the guy who got the 10 talents, then you better be investing those 10 talents, you know? So if a student is a good singer, I'll tell them they're a good singer because they need to be singing. And if a student is really good at public speaking, I'm going to tell them they're good at public speaking because they need to be doing that. And if a student is a good musician, same thing. They need to be getting opportunities to do that because if God gives it to you, you have to use it. Yeah, that's a great answer. I like that. So one of the things I'd say, someone in your shoes has a platform. You know, you see a lot of kids, especially every freshman and sophomore, and then every other kid that that wants to be in select choir and and or does theater and musicals, right? So how do you use your platform to inspire young people to pursue the arts, even if it may be outside their comfort zone? I talk a lot about how vital the arts are for us as Christians. Because most of the students I'm serving are are Christians. Almost every single one of them is Lutheran. 
So they have that love of God and they have that desire to serve him. And so I always present the arts as a way to do that, especially, especially vocal music. Vocal music, I think, is something that every single Christian needs to know. And I give this speech to my students all the time. All the time I give them this speech because Lutherans are a little different than the other Christian denominations. When, when we go to church, Lutherans are not spectators at church. In the other denominations, they'll come to worship and they'll watch people on a stage like they're at a concert. And that's not why we go to church. When we go to church, we come to participate. Our musicians, even if, we, even if you do have a band, your musicians are accompaniment for the congregation. They're the ones who are really singing. The congregation does. And I don't want any of my students to grow up and be one of those people who sits in their pew holding their hymnal in their lap and just mumbling along that being able to joyfully sing out and participate in your Sunday worship. I find that that's the bare minimum of Christian arts education, I think. And if you have a student who's especially talented, I always encourage them to look for leadership positions. If you're a good singer, you better be in your church choir possibly directing it. Yeah. Even if you're young, you might be a better trained singer than everyone else in your church. And you should probably be a cantor. If you need to lead a special song, you might want to be singing with the praise band, especially if you have a sense of harmonies, a singer and a praise band who actually has a good sense of harmonies. That's so valuable. And if you're, if you're a musician, you definitely need to be leading worship on the piano or the organ or playing in the band or in the brass ensemble or whatever it is. Because Luther, like I said before, Lutherans have a very rich heritage to our worship. Music is a prized possession among Lutherans in our worship. And so these students are going to be the next leaders in their congregations. And I tell them that to their face and encourage them to do that. I always tell them the worst thing you can tell me is that you went off to college and you stopped singing. You got to keep doing it. Well, Stephen, we'd really love to talk even more, but we're running a little short on time. So, But before we go, is there anything you'd like to pitch or promote or uh, anything you're working on that you'd like our listeners to know about? Yeah, sure. I suppose I should tell them all that I, I've said before that I teach at Nebraska Lutheran High School, and not a lot of people are very aware of Nebraska Lutheran High School. It's very small. It's in a little dinky nowhere town in the middle of Nebraska called Waco, and we have a dormitory, and most of our students live in the dormitory. There's not a lot of high schools further east of us, and not a lot of high schools that are wells further south of us. So there's a huge area of the wells that is not being served by a high school that we would love to have come to Nebraska Lutheran High School. I, I'm going to be biased when I talk about the high school but I really try to say this as objectively as possible. This is one of the best high schools I've ever seen. Our faculty cares so much about students. Our students are so grounded and have such a servant attitude. The culture here, uh, students talk about it now. They talk about it when they graduate. Parents of students, alumni talk about the culture at this school. It's been consistent for decades. 
the Christian environment and the high quality of Christian education and leadership that we're able to produce here is really something that you do not see at other high schools. So I'd really encourage people who don't have a local Wells High School to give us a call or check out our website. It's just Nels, N-E-L-H-S dot org and learn more about our school because we have some really great here. I, I want to share it with everybody, the amazing school here. So come be in my choir. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Stephen, for joining us and taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, share your insights. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. That wraps it up for another episode of the podcast. If you're like Stephen, you may not know that like we want to talk to you. Uh, Stephen was very surprised when we reached out to him and saying that we wanted to talk to him. But we just love talking to creatives and anyone working with the arts about the things that they are passionate about, whether it's teaching teenagers or this series of paintings you're working on or whatever it is you're doing. If you're doing something creative and you love talking about it, we want to hear from you. So feel free to reach out to us at heartsandhandspodcast at gmail.com or on any social media platform at Wells Creatives. And we appreciate all of the support we've received for this podcast, especially those through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash heartsandhandspodcast. If you haven't yet, check that out and get instant access to uh, bonus content like uncut episodes. Uh, be sure to check that out. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.